Hey y'all, welcome back to the Wednesday, May 25th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, the preseason number nine S&P Plus per Bill Connolly of ESPN, uh, Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, so very excited for that, but that's for tomorrow's show, for tomorrow's show um, here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. But that doesn't mean I cannot be excited about it as we kick things off here on the Wednesday program, um, because I am, won't lie to you, very much am. On uh, part one here in today's edition of the Chase Mills Podcast, uh, John Taylor, uh, Fangraphs.com, returns about the Twins and how they did a skinny rebuild, Aaron Judge, and if he's a fit for the Giants next offseason. Really good piece uh, in Fangraphs on how folks have been pitching to Giancarlo Stanton this year. Very interesting stuff there. Uh, Steven Strasburg coming back soon from the DL. The Yankees losing both Chad Green and um, uh, Araldis Chapman to the IL. Uh, what makes Johnny Cueto cool? And then why is Tyler O'Neill struggling for the St. Louis Cardinals? All that and more coming up on part one here on the Chase Most Podcast. Three-parter today. So jam-packed show for you guys here on a Wednesday. Uh, don't forget, folks, you can uh, check this show out and subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch us on YouTube. Oh, yeah, on YouTube, youtube.com, type in the Chase Mouse Podcast. You'll find us there, just a few subscribers away from 100, which would be cool. So help us get over the hump and get there this week. That would be great. Um, you can also read me at sportrenaissanceman.substack.com. Sportrenaissanceman, that's me, sportrenaissanceman.substack.com. Dot com type in your email that easy that simple tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and as always you can email the program at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com all right three-parter part one let's go uncle darren chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right we're back here on the chase thomas podcast where i am rejoined by my good friend john taylor fangraphs.com john good evening sir how are you is that an andy griffith poster behind you it is okay so it's even continuity because here's young andy old andy Andy. yeah Mm mm-hmm that's just the the sweetest people you got ron howard up there um, I would fi- if I could find a way to put Henry Winkler up here somewhere, I would do that as well, because that man should be protected at all costs. And yes, I, I, I agree with that. Oh my God, him and Barry is just unreal. Mm. Yeah, I, I, don't you watch, wa- I don't watch Barry, so I've missed out. As in, like you you tried it and it was not for you. No, or- I just I've, I've just never I've just never caught it. Um, it's one of those shows where when it came out, I was like, eh, maybe, but. You know, I heard it was good, but now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, catching up on the show would require two entire seasons of TV watching, plus the currency. I, for me, it's, it's not like long. Once, They're, the episodes are not very long. I, I just have a episodes. hard time. I have a hard time with shows that where it's just like I have to do like basically homework to catch up, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's just like no, there's already so much TV out there that's like if I miss the boat, like it's just like okay, you know what, that's fine. I'll just I'll I'll catch another boat. Uh, do you have something, how does it work with the, the girlfriend? Do y'all, do y'all blend your TV watching habits so that uh, you're both, I mean, no, she, she, I watch some stuff on my own. She watches some stuff. I mean, she's watching. Do you White coordinate Lotus that right though? Now. No, no, no I, don't, I don't think so. Um, hmm. I mean, I know if I, if I know of something that I think both of us would be interested in, I say, Hey, how about this? But mm-hmm. there's stuff I know that like, uh, slow horses on Apple TV. 
What is uh, that? Gary Oldman British kind of Ooh. spy comedy drama. Okay. Um, I just was like you know it was I I liked it a lot, but I know that's not her that's not her particular cup of tea. So mm-hmm. um, I just watched that one for myself. So yeah, there's there's stuff I think we each consume on our own, but you mm-hmm. know stuff like uh, Abbott Elementary where we're, we're, we took a, yeah. we took a dive into that. The other is week. it good? I've heard good things. It's enjoyable. the The pilot's a little rough in the way that sitcom pilots on network TV usually are very broad, mm. very kind of you know, um, everyone you know there there isn't really any drilling down on any one particular person. Mm-hmm. But the the episodes after that definitely picked up, and you know we haven't had a chance to to watch it again since. But no, I enjoyed the definitely enjoyed the. I guess you could say the first two episodes, because, you know, the, for me, the pilot is just like, okay, this is just introducing who everyone is. Like, I'm not going to take this as the overall quality of the show, because the next yeah. two episodes were, were a lot better. Hmm. Which, honestly, like, the pilot was bad. I, I just like the, the the non-pilot episodes much better. I think, I'm trying to think what were, like, some really good network uh, pilots. Arrested Development's pilot was good. Mm. Um I'm trying to think of sitcoms. Uh, Grinders was good. Rest in peace, my favorite show that no one watched. And yeah, uh, you lost me on that one. Grinder is the one with uh, what's his name from Wonder Years, Fred Savage, and then Rob Lowe, mm-hmm. and it it had a lot of Arrested Development uh, written all over it, and it was just okay. it was a delight. The best one that no one ever watched. That one of the early like reasons that the fiance is the fiance is because she did the hello 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 and mm, okay. i do you know where that reference is from uh i do not increasingly poor decisions on margaret the david cross will arnett show from ifc do, from years ago i do recall that one which had its moments uh particularly like when, so when they funny. made john ham show up yes to do silly things because yes. he always just seems game to be a to butler and just be uh, talk, get bossed un- around by yes. one of the kids from the in-betweeners which yes. i enjoyed um thunder yeah, muscle was, that that had a that had a fun time with I had a fun time with that show, um, for the most part. There you go, John. It's time for your favorite segment on our podcast Everyone's here. Everyone's favorite segment. Everyone's America's favorites because this is the national pastime. John Taylor. Um, today's story in baseball. We're recording this on May twenty fourth. So May twenty fourth, over a hundred years ago. Here we go. Over a hundred years ago. Yeah, this is crazy. Um, quote. This is from nationalpastime.com, so go check that out if you've not already done so. Great website that I love checking every day. Um, the era of nighttime baseball begins mm-hmm. as 25,000 fans watch the Reds beat the Phillies 2-1 in the first Major League game ever played under the lights. At the White House, President Franklin D. Roosevelt pushed a gold telegraph key during the Crossley Field pregame ceremonies sending an electrical electric signal to a table near first base where McPhail flips the switch to illuminate the stadium. Really something about just <laughs> Franklin D. Roosevelt and his golden teller. That's very that's very cute. Is that not wild? They just stuck a key back in the day? They're just sticking a key to turn yeah, on and all the Everyone lights. just had to sit around and wait for a little telegraph machine next to uh-huh. first base to go to and then they were like, Okay, now we can turn them on. Did they all just sit in the dark? Is that how that worked? They I were hope all... so. I hope they were just sitting there waiting, being like, did he <laughs> Did he get the right time? Does he know we're central and that he's eastern? Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't even remember if, if Cincinnati is central or eastern. Cincinnati's got to be central, I feel like. Well, I was, I mean, I was in Michigan this weekend, and I was surprised uh-huh. to learn they are on the same time zone we are. Michigan, that's a wild one. I I, I learned that not too long ago because Andrew Hammond moved to Michigan uh, on the Sports Wars pod with Bob and I, 
and he was on East Coast, and we were like, he's not East Coast. There's no way Michigan's East Coast. I cannot believe Michigan's Yeah, on. that one that one really threw me. Yeah, I don't know how that works. That's like a whole Mizzou in the SEC East type deal. I still don't understand how that one works. Or like, uh, what's is, is there any team that's still in a division where you're just like, you don't believe Oh yeah, like the ACC has. I mean, before oh, I, meant, I meant baseball wise, college college oh. sports is a, yeah, that doesn't count at this point. They are they are <laughs> all in the wrong division, as far as I can tell. Uh, that's fair. Uh, let me think. Uh, let's see. I guess you see the thing where it's like when Atlanta was in the NL West, everyone was yes. like, "How did we end up in this system?" That makes no sense. I feel like most team. I guess really just the Texas Rangers are mm. kind of like because everyone's on the West Coast outside of them. Yeah, um, but you could also say the same about Houston true you could say the same i guess that's about it right i don't think anyone else really jumps off the page just out of a no mlb does seem pretty well oriented and aligned geographically Mm -hmm. in that everyone is where they at least theoretically should be i would agree with that although i guess the the thing would be if you were to if you were to reorganize things would it make sense to take the teams in to take for example the braves the rays the marlins and the two texas teams and turn them into the something south Hmm. I don't know. Maybe we'll get there if they expand. Yeah, uh, I mean, expansion would have to would require a divisional reorganization, but mm-hmm. but I guess that's the thing. It's like, where is expansion coming? You know, is Nashville does seem like one of the one of the candidates, and if Nashville does get added, then it's like, well, are we going to make a South division or are we going to make uh, some kind of weird Central? Because I don't really think Tennessee belongs in a Central division. That's not. Well, I just don't think Nashville and Charlotte are viable because I just think there are already too many Braves and Cubs fans. Like, I just don't think you're going to... the Smokies. Yeah, it's just... It's not... I don't think it's going to happen. I think that's well, a I bad think, idea. I think, I think Portland would probably be MLB target number one. Yeah. Because I, I, I imagine, too, they would love to get their own Seattle-Portland thing going. Yeah, I would do Seattle and Montreal. Like, that's or what Portland I would Portland and Montreal, do. you mean? Huh? Portland and Montreal? Or Portland and Montreal, yeah. yeah. That's probably what yeah, I Yeah, because, I mean, if you do that, I mean, it gets a little complicated, but you definitely have to put Portland in a west of some mm-hmm. sort, and you would definitely have to put Montreal in an east. So it really does seem like the easiest thing would be to kick out one west team and one east team and then reorganize mm-hmm. everything anyway so that the southern, east, and west teams just become their own thing. But Or they just get rid of divisions altogether. Or they get rid of divisions altogether, which is perfectly fine by me. Get rid yeah. of divisions and go back to a everyone-plays-everyone schedule right. um, that is balanced. Or I could see that closer to balanced because yeah, I do think that's where we're going as a just sports conglomerate. Uh, it's college football is doing that; they're inching more and more towards that. I think you're going to see the NBA will probably be first on this, but I think that will eventually be a thing where we yeah, just I, look. Do, do NBA divisions even mean anything anymore? No, so it just it's just we're doing it because it's nostalgia at this point, where it's like this is what we've done, but it's. It just really doesn't hold. I under, I think conferences are needed. I still think that's a cool way of doing the postseason format of just having one sure. side of the bracket and the other. I don't want to just do one through uh, 16 or whatever because uh, I think that would also be kind of detrimental to a lot of these leagues because I think we would see a lot of domination by only a select uh, few markets. Um, and I don't think that would be necessarily great for it. But, yeah, I don't know. Divisions seem a little silly at this point, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, plus in the, in the market, I mean, like, the, the Mets and the Yankees are both winning the Eastern divisions. Right. You know, like, the same market's winning both of those. This L.A., Los Angeles <laughs> is winning the West, and actual Los Angeles is also winning the West. Yeah. 
How far is Anaheim from Los Angeles? I don't even know. It's it's Orange County. It's not like it's the other side of the world, but it's not Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Anaheim is not Los Angeles. Like, you know, that's just not the same thing. It'd be like saying... It'd be like saying Long Island is New York City. No, it's not. No? No, Long Island is Long Island. Interesting. Are we starting a beef with the Impractical Jokers? Is that where they're from? That makes total sense. I think they're in Long Island. It's either Long Island or Staten Island. I want to say it's Long. hard. Um, but no, it's like Long Island is not New York City. Long Island is Long Island. Like, Long Island, though. Long Island's Long Island, though. Right. Is that what they say? Is I it just they I combine it into sure. one word? Yeah, Long Island. Long Island. Long Island, though. Saying. Strong okay. Island. Um, John. Yes. The Minnesota Twins. Yes. Still in first place in the right. AL Central. Good for them. We were optimistic coming into this season on the Twins. Uh, the one question we had was their starting pitching. And the health of Byron Buxton. Yep. And John, mostly things have gone right. And I think what we said, too, was that the Twins bouncing back and not tearing it down and not overreacting to the season from hell was that, hey, the White Sox are not as bulletproof as they seemed last year. And the record against good teams versus the AL Central was a good indicator. But it's also, I mean... The Tigers and the Royals, it just a lot has to go right for them to bounce back. And the Guardians are going to be a 500 ball club. So it's like there was a realistic path that the Twins could use last year as a blip. And that's what it looks like. And there was a really good piece in SI about this and about the way they retooled this offseason and the way they're approaching their retooling versus what a lot of other teams around the league. What do you think of the piece and what do you think of the Twins at this point? Well, I mean, I I, th- I think you're right that the Central was very much a division that the White Sox aside was up for grabs. Like, you're right. The mm-hmm. Tigers and the Royals were very much uh, projects in the making. And as, as we've seen in Detroit, you know, they're very clearly still another year away from, from actual contention, if that at this point. Uh, Kansas City is very much not in contention mode. Uh, Cleveland is, and in part thanks to the having a better offense than they've had in quite a bit. But I think, like we've said with Cleveland before, you know, it's it's not a team that you can expect to expend a lot of resources in its pursuit. You know, that's that's a team where if everything goes right, they will contend. Not they will contend because they make it so. Mm-hmm. So I think there definitely was that opportunity for Minnesota to get back into things if they wanted to. And kudos to the Twins front office for deciding that. And I think beyond even what Minnesota did or didn't do, and I think you know when we talked about them this off season, you're right, we were concerned about the pitching. But we liked the fact that they were, you know, that they were making moves. We liked the fact that they took advantage of Carlos Correa's down market. You know, even though he's not had a great season so far, and you know, missed a fair amount of time or missed a bit of time with injury. I mean, that's not really something they could have predicted. But regardless, mm. you know, I, I think it says a lot too about the fact that tanking, or at least the tanking as we knew it, the kind of Astros Cub style full roster teardown, and mm. the one that the Orioles have done is probably. I don't. I don't want to say it's over because these things are not so much fat or not so much eras as they are fads. This stuff is kind of cyclical in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, I think tanking will probably come back to some degree in some way, depending on how you know whether or how the next CBA incentivizes it. You know, worth noting that a salary a salary floor didn't get into the current CBA. So I mean, and I think that would be you know rule like step number one to eliminating tanking, or at least the most viable step to eliminating tanking would be a salary floor. To mm. keep teams from bottoming out and being able to ro- to field a roster that is just not competitive in any aspect, but I do think that 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 method of rebuilding, of just getting rid of everything and building from the ground up, is probably over for now. 
mm. because I think teams have seen that it is there's no real guarantee to do it anymore. Or there's no guaranteed way to do it. You know, mm. we've seen the Orioles have to spend forever trying to figure that out. And granted, they do seem finally to be making some progress in that direction. I know Adley Rutschman is up. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez will probably be up soon. You know, they've they've uncovered some good players in that system. They've you know they've done a really nice job with their pitching this year compared to years previous. But it took a lot of time to get there, and you know there's still no guarantee that it's actually going to work. We've seen how it worked with the Reds, who just spent a bl- seemingly half a decade just kind of mired in a rebuilt swamp mm-hmm. and never really seemed to figure it out. And and I think what you see there is like the res- with the Reds as the example. That teardown isn't about, okay, we don't have enough good players, a la the Orioles when they traded Manny Machado. It's just like the only way out of this is just to, we have to start completely from scratch. That teardown was about money. Mm. And, that, I mean, that's always been the case, and that's why I say I don't think tanking ever goes away because, I mean, but at the same time, that's not really tanking. That's just being cheap. That's just being the pirates, you know? That's, yeah. not, really, that, that's not really doing that for any competitive advantage or for any, you know, team or for any roster-building reason. But I think what the Twins did, and I, I think we've seen it for a, a few years now, the kind of concept of the skinny rebuild, mm. where you know maybe you don't, you know maybe you don't get whole hog into the free agency, but you do spend on one or two or three big players who you think can help you now and in the future. I think we saw that with Texas, adding both Corey Seager and Marcus Semien, and similarly with Minnesota adding Carlos Correa. And I think there's a, you know there's, it's different. Obviously, I think Minnesota was in a much better position both roster-wise and division-wise, to be able to add like a guy like Correa and have it make more of an impact than adding either Seager or Semyon has made for Texas because that team just had more holes in the first place. But I, I do think Minnesota is probably a good model for the way forward where you know you accept that you know if you have a bad year, you don't necessarily need to burn it all down. Mm-hmm. You know, that with the right additions, with the right moves, with the right you know attitude, kind of weird way to put it, but whatever, you know, you can build a functional baseball team. And I think, too, what helps is, you know, and I, I, you know, the league will probably argue that adding playoff spots to a certain degree incentivizes competition. You know, I think the, the counter argument is that adding playoff spots disincentivizes teams from trying harder because they know that there will be a playoff spot available, even if they only finish with like 82 wins or whatever. But regardless, I do think having those extra playoff spots to a certain degree makes the field that much bigger, which I think also disincentivizes teams from just blowing it all up in the first place. Yeah. Granted, I mean, it's not, this is definitely not a perfect solution by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, there's still plenty of really bad teams in baseball. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, the, the Orioles, the Orioles, the Royals, the Tigers, the A's, the, you know, the Nationals, the Reds, the Pirates, uh, the Rockies have finally slipped back under 500. The Cubs are sinking pretty hard. Um, the Marlins are under 500. The Rangers are under 500. The Mar- Some of these teams are just, you know, that you know that they didn't in- intend to be there. The Mariners did not intend to be bad. The Marlins, I don't yeah. think, intended to be bad. I-, I have no idea what the Cubs were really aiming for, but I don't think they intended to be uh, where they are currently. But at the same time, I don't know. ESPN's Jesse Rogers told me though, it was like it, this. Yeah, year I-, I-, a- I think, but I think that's the other thing is I mm-hmm. think what appeals about a skinny rebuild because I think you could say the Cubs kind of did something similar when adding Marcus Stroman and, and Seiya Suzuki is that if things do go well, great. Now mm. you have a contending team that you didn't have to splurge a whole huge amount of money on, and then right. you actually were able to turn around pretty quick. And if things don't go well, okay, well, you try again. It, it leaves a door open for you to try again next year, I think, or to try to keep building going forward, as opposed to saying, screw it, we're just going to be like a 100-loss team this year. 
Yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't know that the Cubs for to kind of switch gears a bit, but I don't know that the Cubs came into the season expecting that they would contend. But mm. I also don't think that the Cubs came into the season planning to lose a hundred games and bottom out completely. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think that's what makes it the model is that you don't have to because those kinds of tanks what the what the Astros did and the Cubs did back in the day and what the Orioles have been doing take a really long time because you're relying on player development and you're relying on draft picks uh, to help kind of you know float you to the top and part of that too is just the way that teams you know teams of all MLB teams as as all sports teams are they're all copycats you know they mm-hmm. they all have if not the same valuation of players, at least roughly enough of a similar valuation that you're not going to be able to succeed with that kind of tank where it's like, okay, I'm going to ship out veterans for prospects, you know? Mm-hmm. You can still get prospects, but teams know enough to be like, no, there are certain players we're not going to give up, and there are certain veterans we're not interested in, and that's just how it is. Because, you know, they they want their own uh, renewable source of cheap, cost-effective players. You know, mm-hmm. no no team is really kind of operating in that in that format of we don't care about our prospects well, maybe maybe any team run by Dave Dombrowski but most every team values its farm system to the point where you're not going to be able to kind of pull off the tanking deals that teams were able to pull off and similarly most teams are since most teams share or at least have the same DNA in their front offices in terms of the things the, the things they value and the things they look for it's really really hard to find those kind of moneyball style um, you know, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Uh, market inefficiencies. There yeah. it is. I, I think you're seeing rough. that. I think you're seeing that more now when it comes to internal player development, where you're coming to, you know, teams like the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Rays, for example, and how they and the Giants, I think, are probably a really good example of that too now. And and the Giants, I think, probably even more so than the Twins were this model of, you know, we're going to be bad, you know, or we can we can be bad, but you know, with our player development and with finding the right players and with te- especially with developing the right things internally in house, mm-hmm. we can make a better team that way that doesn't have to be bad for as long. Mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that's kind of the, the the case here is that the Twins, the Twins very well could have looked at last year and gone like ah screw it and just let everybody go, you know, um, but they didn't, and I think that is part part and parcel of that just is this seems like a more flexible way to rebuild yeah and a more flexible way to run a baseball team than just saying all right the next three to five years are just going to stink to high heaven Um, again unless you're a team like the reds or the pirates where it's more about the finances of being a tanking team and not having to spend that money than it is about trying to quote unquote build something although it's always worth remembering tanking is first and foremost a financial move it is first and foremost designed to lower payrolls so that ownership can skate for a couple years um with a bad team but and with the promise of turning those savings into yeah. uh, theoretical players down the yeah, line. Yeah, returning that savings to you, the fan, mm-hmm. which never happens. So what do you think is in the water in uh, the ALS? Because when people throw the, the prospect stuff, and like Pirates, I think they're in the top five now uh, in uh, Baseball America's farm system rankings. I want to say they're in the top five now, which is good. Hey, step up, right? Because there's no... It's it's Cabrian Hayes and that's it right now. They just called up um, who was there that highly touted arm? Is he pitching tonight? I think he's pitching tonight. Ronsi Contreras, yeah, he's starting yeah. against the the Rockies tonight. So we'll see how he does. But ultimately, they're still a ways away from being a ways away. And you look at it and you're like, well, that's great, but it's still just look at Joe Adele, look at Jared Kalenic, look at well, Christian yeah, I mean, Pache. That's, that's you. The they sound great. Stuff. 
like it's one of those things where once they get on the field you just don't know man like you just don't know and by and large the one thing we do know is the majority don't pan out the majority are not who they were in triple a or in double a and major league baseball is hard it's extremely difficult to be a consistently good major league baseball hitter and i mean those three could all end up being bust and those were three darlings who were just pegged as potential superstars just you don't know man like those rebuilds everyone can if basically what i'm saying is like if two-thirds of major league baseball is tanking at the same time guess what two like a, a significant portion of that group is going to develop and they're going to do okay in the farm system rankings for a little bit and then those guys get to the majors and they don't work out and then you're nothing changed you just waited on these prospects that did not who flashed and were highly touted and developed well in the minors and they just didn't work on the major league level so the skinny rebuild is kind of like the best of both worlds what the twins are doing where it's just kind of trying to balance that uncertainty with the youth movement while also being realistic i think too about your division i think that's a big part of it and i wonder sure if we got their gm on the on on the pod be like hey how much did just being in this division change how does it change your calculus year to year because i don't know i think it's a little bit different i also think it's a little less complicated than what the diamondbacks are doing who i am so interested to see what they do this summer because they're 500 right now and playing okay baseball so uh, and they're in a division from hell for for the foreseeable yeah, future and, and like you said like it it you know baseball is hard you can't you can't promise anything with prospects. Although the flip side of that is, you know, a guy like Kalenic struggles, but a guy like Julio Rodriguez looks like the best player on the Mariners right now. True. You know, that's so it, it really just does depend what you can get out of your, out of your farm system. And I think we're at the point now with the emphasis that is placed on, you know, on creating that renewable source of cheap cost-effective players. There's such a huge emphasis on being able to do that level of player development, because you're right. If you are banking everything on a Jared Kalenic or, you know, or a Christian Pache, and he comes out and just flops right from the get-go, then you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got to be able to get these things right. But again, for every, you know, for every Christian Pache, you know, we've got a Julio Rodriguez, or we've got a, you know, so far pretty good Bobby Witt Jr., or uh, or Jeremy Payne. Well, Jeremy Payne is a little different, I think, because the Astros were, were never tanking at any point. But, you know, speaking of Carlos Correa, the Carlos Correa replacement, you know, uh, here, Jeremy Pena is probably the AL, probably definitely the AL rookie of the year right now. If it, if it's not Rodriguez, I think it's probably those two at the moment. So, yeah, it 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 definitely depends on what you can and cannot do with your farm system. And I think that's why you see a team like, I mean, that's why you see teams like like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Rays. And the Dodgers and the Yankees obviously have their their financial advantages, but a team like the Rays can do what they do because they have just mastered that art of player development. And I yeah. think that it, it not is the next frontier. It is it is the current frontier. It is the current frontier of where teams are at. And it is going to be, I think, for a lot of these teams, a deciding factor in how, because, you know, free agency, free agency is not as big a thing anymore. You know, it, it really is what can you, what can you create on your own? Um, and I think we're seeing that, you know, with, I, I, th- I think we're seeing that that is, the the most important thing for a lot of teams right now especially as everyone is kind of on the same page when it comes to you know how they want to handle finances with the exception of the Mets you know they're they're not a whole lot of teams that really want to spend anymore we'll see John Taylor we shall see um a team that might spend though next winter the San Francisco Giants who are in an interesting spot the Padres uh have bounced back 
and I think the Padres are a playoff team, and Machado is just hitting the cover off the ball. Manny Machado is the dealing. right now. Yeah, he's just uh, a man on a mission this year, and it's great to see. Um, Aaron Judge, though, he has made it very clear this man. The it, exactly, but he's also very much clear about I'm exploring free agency, and the fact yes. that he did not re-up the Yankees, I don't. I just if it's the field versus the Yankees this winter, I'm taking the field. I think it's going to be so interesting to see what happens here because I guess a lot of it will depend on what happens in the postseason with the Yankees and they're in first and they look like a team that can win a, win the pennant, win a, win a title this fall. Um, they are that good right now. Um, that being without Chad Green and Aroldis Chapman, we'll see what that does to their bullpen. But their bullpen's been good to this point. Um, what uh, what do you make of the rumblings though? that the Giants are going to be serious suitors for Aaron Judge because that outfield we've joked about in this podcast for like two years where it's like, who who is in the outfield for the San Francisco Giants? And they just keep winning games and they've overachieved with this group, but they haven't made one of those splashes yet. They flirted with Chris Bryant and people were wondering if Chris Bryant was a realistic shot in uh, San Fran. He doesn't go there. But Aaron Judge, I don't know. Like, they're just... I, we're all waiting to see what Sam Fran does sooner rather than later with this group and where they're going. So what do you think? Do you think that's a realistic possibility for him? Sure. I mean, it would make perfect sense. He's a Bay Area, or not Bay Area, but um, around the Bay Area. He's from Linden. Mm-hmm. And my apologies to your Bay Area listeners. I don't know exactly where Linden is in relation to the Bay Area. But he's. A, I think it's closer to Oakland than it is to San Francisco. But either way, he's a, he's a California local. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a fantastic player, as we're seeing now. He is the, is, I mean, in, in so much as you can have MVP frontrunners by before Memorial Day, he is almost certainly the MVP frontrunner in the American League. Um, he has solved the mush ball, uh, which is incredible. You know, it mm. turns out that the secret to, to being to offense in the mush ball era is uh, have really big, strong guys who can hit the ball hard. So, I mean, the question you have with Judge beyond the price is, can he stay healthy for a full season? And beyond that, can he stay healthy going forward, given that he is a very large and large frame man and that those guys do not tend to age particularly well? Like those, I, mean, I think you see it in pretty much every sport, but those bodies are just not meant to to kind of do that kind of workload on the regular, you know? So the, I think the bigger question for San Francisco is, you know, can they afford it? You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the case for every team because, you know, what, what did Judge turn down basically? 8-240? Eight, eight, Was that the Yankees? That sounds um, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to look it up because I want this exact number because it's, it's obviously very, very important. Um Yes, it was a sorry. It was seven years and thirty point five million a year plus seventeen million for you know that would have covered this season. So it was mm-hmm. a two hundred thirty million dollar deal. Do the Giants have the the stomach for a two hundred fifty million dollar plus contract? Because mm-hmm. based on what he's done this year, that's that's the minimum it's going to take to sign him. And I think if you're the Giants, the problem right now is that most of your money is not freed up until twenty twenty four. You know, mm-hmm. you look at their contracts, they'll, they'll have Evan Longoria coming off the books. Um, he's, there's a team option that they're almost certainly going to decline, although he's going to take a little chunk of that home with him. And Brandon Belt and the 18, you know, he's owed $18 million this year will also come off the books, as, as will a few scattered smaller deals. Jock Peterson, uh, Matt Boyd, Wilmer Flores, uh, Kurt Casale. I don't know, does that really count? But there is still a fair amount of big money, like, they still like they still have guaranteed next year ninety two million dollars on the books 
plus options, plus likely arbitration. I mean, that's a team that's already looking at $135 million in con- in, in payroll next year just right now. Mm-hmm. You know, are they really going to want to slap on another $35 million plus for the next eight years to Aaron Judge? That's And I think that's going to be the toughest sell for a lot of teams is just obviously the cost, but also where does that fit within what we have? Considering that outfield is the outfield is pretty fungible for a lot of teams. I mean, you can see it already with the Giants. The Giants outfield is Mike Yastrzemski and Austin Slater and Darren Ruff and uh, Luis Gonzalez, not that Luis Gonzalez, and Austin Slater. And when he's healthy, Lamonte Wade. Like they have for the most part succeeded, and Jock Peterson just kind of piecing an outfield together just on a on a heavy platoon basis. You know, does does Judge make sense for them? Yes. Does he make them a better team? Absolutely. Does he go against what they've done for the most part? you know, in the last few years under Farhan Zaidi, yeah, they haven't really dropped that kind of money on uh, a free agent a free agent hitter. You know, we saw them give that money to Rodon, and we've seen them, you know, invest in in players like Kevin Gaussman, although that was only a one-year deal. or But, like, their, their deals have been more stuff like, oh, here's $36 million for Anthony DiSclefani. Here's $18 mm-hmm. million for Alex Cobb. Here is, you know, $15 million for Tommy LaStella. Like, you know, are you better off giving that money to Judge instead? Maybe, but consider, I mean, he's hurt, I know, but DiSclefani and Cobb are two-fifths of a rotation, and Lestella, when he's healthy, is, you know, part of the second base platoon. Like, I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time seeing particularly San Francisco, which has made its roster off of flexibility, both financial and, you know, in, just in terms of, you know, that they're a team that loves a platoon. They're a team that loves positional flexibility, just in terms of the number of guys who can do one thing versus another. You know, I, I think they'll they'll definitely consider Judge. I, I think it'd be crazy not to. But, yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know. I, I have a hard time seeing Judge going to a team that is not that is already not going to be a big wallet opener, which is why I think ultimately the team that makes the most sense for Judge that isn't the Yankees is the Mets. Mm. They have the money. They definitely have the need in right field. Uh, I, I think Mark Canha is not a, is not a, not a permanent option there, certainly. Um, Prospect-wise, you know, their guys are Francisco Alvarez and Brett Batty and a few pitchers. They don't really have a top outfield prospect ready to go out there. Um, and of Michael course, Conforto Steve, still sitting out there waiting for his return. I, I, I'd like to think that Conforto's bridges in New York are probably pretty burned at this point. I mean, they mm-hmm. didn't want him back, clearly. So, And, like, and you look at, at New York's outfield now, like, you know, interestingly enough, the other I, the guy I think who, who – I. You know, I think will be a very, very interesting player to watch going through free agency. Will be Brandon Nimmo, who is a fantastic mm. player, very underrated. Has actually has been a good defensive center fielder the last few years. Is a great on base guy. Um, is really, really going to be you know someone that I think a very smart team will jump all over right from the get go. But the rest of New York's outfield, Starling Marte, Mark Canha, you know those are those are not guys you're building on long term. Mm. And as we've seen with Steve Cohen, money's no object if it gets him the best player. You know, he is not against giving out an enormous contract if he is getting a top-tier player. He did that with Max Scherzer. And given that, you know, the other big spenders you would be considering would be like the Dodgers or uh, mostly the Dodgers. But, like, I I, I don't really see, you know, are the Cubs going to jump in? Are the Red Sox going to jump in? You You know, are we going to see Artie Moreno reopen his wallet? Um, and do something crazy there, although I, I don't really think that would make sense because then the question becomes, well, you already have a right fielder, and his name is Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. So where are you putting Aaron Judge? But I don't know. It'll be fascinating to see. But I, to me, at least right now, if Judge doesn't return to the Yankees, and I think that's probably the most likely outcome. Hmm. Uh, he likes being in New I think he likes New York. He likes the team. I think the team understands that it would be 
a fiasco for him to leave, particularly if he goes to the Mets. Um, it's unfortunate for them. Especially if it's money-related, too. Yeah, especially if it's money-related. I think it's one thing if Judge were to come out and say, I hate it here, I don't want to be here anymore, you know, I'm sick of this team. Or if the Yankees were bad, and then it's an easy way to say, hey, Aaron Judge is not the difference here. Like, we need to reinvest Mm. that money into X, Y, or Z. But that Yankees team is good. They are good primarily because of Aaron Judge. And they're the New York Yankees. They have more money than most of the Middle East put together. Like, they can afford Aaron Judge if they really want to. And so I think, ultimately, you know, it's... It's funny for them because, you know, I'm sure Brian Cashman wishes more than anything that Judge just said, yeah, sure, fine, let's just sign this deal because he is he is definitely going to get more than the $230 million that the Yankees offered him, I, I think for sure. But at the same time, I think they probably do end up working something out because, I, I mean, I do think that unless Cohen comes and blows the doors off um, with a huge offer, like $300 million plus right off the bat, I don't really see that market developing for Judge in the same way. Because I think enough teams can go, well, number one, he's really expensive. Number two, he's um, obviously as a free agent, he's about to start hitting, you know, the the bad side of the age-related decline. And again, like I said, the big question for Judge is, as someone who has really struggled to stay healthy and put in a full-time season over the last few years, and who is a very big-bodied athlete and those guys age particularly poorly, you know, how many years of good production are we actually guaranteed, you know? And I think that is a lot easier for a team with unlimited resources like the Mets to swallow, as opposed to a team like the Giants where they'd be like, okay, we are devoting one-seventh of the payroll to one guy. Yeah. That That is just not – and I think that's kind of just league-wide at this point. You're just not really seeing that anymore. You don't really see – Or if I mean, they do you know that, what? it's going to be a short-term deal. Like, sure. that's the or whole you, thing. Actually, you know what would, you know would be a super interesting team, and I wonder if they have the appetite for it after the contracts they handed out last offseason? Mm. The Rangers. Hmm. I really wonder if the Rangers would say, you know, I know that this, particularly the Semyon deal has not worked out and Seager has gotten off to a slow start, but at the same time, you know, that's, I think you can bank on Corey Seager a little easier. I do wonder if that's something where it's like, hey, like, we don't really have, you know, our outfield is kind of just, like, and we've, we've clearly got them. And like that, I think that works best on a team, either like the Mets, where they have unlimited money. Or a team, as we saw this offseason with Texas, where there's not really a whole lot else on the books. Mm. And so it's a lot easier to make that kind of huge offer to Judge or to a player like Judge because you're like, well, you know, yeah, it's a really big contract, but we're not really paying anyone else. So why not? You know, I mean, you know, who would work ideally in my mind, except for the fact that, you know, they already have a pretty huge amount of contracts on the books. San Diego. San Diego would be another outstanding fit for Aaron Judge. He would make that lineup incredible over there. But, but are I, they really going to go back in and add no, another no, not one? After the, not after the money they gave Hosmer, not after the money they gave to Manny Machado, and not after the money they gave to Tatis. Like, it, it's it's just not going to happen. They, they've already – that's the thing. Like, I think most teams – most teams are most functional teams, you know, financially, leaving out, like, the Pirates and the Reds, can stomach about three of those deals maybe four the absolute max. So I think I think that's probably the important thing to keep in mind with judges. Which teams both have the money, either which teams either have the money or have the payroll space in that they're most of it is tied up in either young guys or in in cost of, cost effective mm-hmm. in cheaper guys so that they can absorb the hit from a guy like Judge more easily. We'll see. We'll I mean, see. I also I also think for Judge with the Mets, I think that Cohen would love to make yet another, not only a, another really big offseason splash because he clearly loves that, but mm-hmm. I think he very much would like to put a finger into the eye of the Steinbrenners. I think he would absolutely love doing that. And I think, you know, I, I, 
I mean, the, the Wilpons were very silly about a lot of things and very wrong about a lot of things. But I think they were right that so much about baseball in New York is about winning the back pages. And mm. it's about the fan interest and it's about the attention and it's about kind of building your own circus. And I think there's no better way for the Mets to do that than to do it at the expense of the Yankees. And especially because it's, it's not just a, it's not a shot across the bow at that point. It's saying we are the better New York team. We are the bigger New York team. We are the premier New York team. We have all the stars. We have all the money. We are now the Yankees. And I think more than anything else, I think Steve Cohen would love to be able to say we are the Yankees now. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Plus, Aaron Judge um, would be able to grow, grow, grow a goatee, and I think he'd look good with one. Strong uh, Steve Ballmer vibes in Clipperland there. Very uh, much so. <laughs> Mark Cuban, too. Like, early Mark yeah. Cuban in Dallas. Same kind of vibe. Going that's the thing. Gary. You, you give yeah. a team to an unhinged billionaire, good things usually happen for that team. Yeah. Until said billionaire gets too unhinged. And, hey... Who has ever, whomst among us has ever yeah, seen which, which of our super rich uh, plutocrats has ever gone completely off the deep end? None of them. I, 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 let's, let's all just be glad Elon Musk only wanted to buy Twitter. Imagine how bad it would be if he'd wanted to buy a sports team. I always think about um, the Bill Burr bit on Conan. Do you remember when he talked about Lance Armstrong on a bike? Mm-mm. It's one of my favorite bits. He talked about, he's like, we got off easy with Lance. That man was on a bicycle. He was like a full-blown sociopath. And this man, like, it with his intelligence, like, everything, we're just glad. He's like, he's on his little bike. He's doing that. He's cheating. But, like, he just talked about his interviews and everything else. And he's like, this man being on a bicycle was a gift. Sure. <laughs> it, yeah, it, let's, let's all be very glad. Again, with Musk, like, let, mm-hmm. I mean, he's done incalculable harm in other directions. But let's be glad that he decided that the, that the way he wanted most to use his money was to be cool on the internet like mm-hmm. mission again, accomplished like, yeah which boy that guy regardless yeah i i think yeah i i think with judge we're we're definitely gonna see you know i think he makes sense for the giants but i have, I have a hard time fitting him on that roster at the very least payroll wise um there's like a good piece in fangraphs.com today that i loved reading on the way folks are pitching to Giancarlo stanton um what did you make of this john why should people check out this piece so I think what's interesting about it is first just the research Ben uh, it's a Ben Clemens piece and yes. Ben is always just a, a great researcher who's so adept at finding these little things or these these kind of in the margins things that you never would have thought about you never would have um, you know you never would have considered but you know he's out there finding them and I think this one on on Stanton is fantastic just the fact that what know, is this man doing John this man <laughs> he pulls these things and I'm like where does he find these little nuggets and he's like this is it? a whole story I want to know remarkable. what his off time is looking like what is he I, doing I would love to know that too but the remarkable thing is you know in this piece you know pointing out that uh, Giancarlo Stanton is one of the is very high up just in terms of um, hitters who put the ball in play via the opposite to the opposite field mm-hmm. yet you know yet his production on those balls is subpar, at least compared to what he can do with balls on the inside part of the plate. Mm. Yet, teams seem to be aiming for the inside part of the plate instead of forcing him to go to stuff away. Yeah, Ben's, I should say, Ben does not come to a definite conclusion because he can only work with the info he has. His assumption is that, in part, this is because of the shift mm-hmm. that you know teams put on a, a right a right-handed shift against Stanton, where they put three outfielder or three outfielders, three infielders on the left side. Um, and thus are encouraging him to go away. I would imagine that for teams, the idea is we would rather, you know, we'd rather have him poke something the opposite way and it just be a single if that's what it comes to than, you know, play to his strengths. But they're playing to his strengths anyway. 
Mm. I can't really say I understand it, but I do find it interesting, that concept of, you know, they might be doing it because of the shift. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I'm not sure so much, you know, maybe there'll be an adjustment this year by, you know, whoever whoever happens to face Stanton, or maybe that's something we see more often, for example, in the postseason, you know, teams mm. agree, repeatedly attacking him away, away, away instead. What'll be really interesting for me to see is when, if and when defensive positioning um is turned into something where it's like, okay, you can't have more than two infielders on one side, or you can't have that, whatever that, that ends up looking like in That whatever. seems like that's coming. Yes, and I, I mean, that's part of the, I think, was part of the CBA negotiation that the, that the league and the players were going to come together at some point to discuss what that was going to look like. Mm. But it'll be interesting to see once the shift is gone, and not just for Stanton, but for so many other players, what is that going to do just in terms of the way these guys are pitched to? Because if Ben is right and Stanton is being pitched in this particular way simply because of the defensive alignment behind him, mm-hmm. then, you know, that, that opens up the door to be like, okay, so then what happens if everything is just neutral behind him? How are teams going to approach him? Is this going to be the... Similarly, I mean, you can say the same thing with every big lefty pull hitter in existence. You know, how are teams going to approach Eric Hosmer? How are teams going to approach Jared Walsh? How are teams going to approach... I mean, he might not be around by this point, but like Carlos Santana. Like, how are teams yeah. going to approach Joey Votto? Like... It, it, that'll be the fascinating part for me. And I think what, you know, it's, again, Ben founds a, a very intre- interesting nugget and turned it into a story as he is very, very good at doing. I think it's, for me, it's the longer term ramifications of what does this kind of mean for the league if we if teams are doing stuff purely for defensive alignment reasoning? Not purely, but primarily. Well, it means they're in trouble gonna... next year. Yeah, and that's, I think that would be a really interesting thing to look into is, you know, if the if the shift does go away next year, like, how does that change the way that these hitters are pitched to? And how does that change the way these hitters produce? You're just you know? throwing out the data. You're just tossing it out on a lot of this stuff. You're going to have to you're gonna have to start from scratch, I think, on a lot yes. of these guys. Um, and that's going to be a really, really big adjustment that I think we're going to have to keep in mind if that does happen over the offseason going into the next yeah. season is, you know, the numbers that we're used to for a lot of these guys. Again, particularly the lefty pull hitters. But also, as we're seeing with Stanton, the big righty pole hitters, mm-hmm. you know, we're, I think we're going to see some changes there in the way that they are both pitched, the way that both they're pitched to, and the, what they're able to produce on the other end. I would agree. Uh, Strasburg coming back from the DL soon, John. Sure. Do you think I, he's going to have I'll a trade? I'll believe by... it when I see it. I, I feel bad saying healthy. that I, I love that guy, but that he, his arm has just been through so much at this point that I... He has, what is it called, where it's like no one's come back from this well? What Thoracic outlet syndrome. Yes. That, that's the other thing, is that people can, I mean, people can come back from it. Matt Harvey came back from it. Chris kind Archer of. has come <laughs> back from it. it. It's not so much that you can't pitch after it. as It's not like a torn labrum where it's something where it's like, ooh, that is literally a career ender. You're just not um, as good. You just you're not be. as good. You're simply not as good. It's really, really hard to pitch effectively after that injury. A lot mm-hmm. of those guys you've seen, you know, Harvey and Archer, but but pretty much everyone who's, who's undergone thoracic outlet uh, syndrome surgery mm-hmm. has lost velocity, which is really important. I mean, Strasburg, I think, is better suited to survive given the, his very good array of breaking and off-speed pitches. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is a guy who was throwing, what, last year, topping out around 91, 92, and you could very clearly see that that was not working for him in the least. Mm-hmm. It forces you to work at a lower velocity, and you can do that. I mean, we're we were going to talk a little about Johnny Cueto, and that's a dude who's, yeah. who's, who's thriving right now on eighty nine ninety. But like mm. the uh, for what it's worth, Strasburg was down to Strasburg went from ninety. His average velocity has gone from a peak of ninety well ninety seven point six in his rookie year to ninety one point eight last year on his fastball. Mm. That's really bad. That's really yeah. really bad. There is no way around that one. 
And I think, you know, the flip side of Cueto is look at Zach Greinke. Mm-hmm. He is he is completely beholden to batted ball luck. And I don't necessarily know if Strasburg is going to be that uh, degree of compromise, but I don't know. I, I think it's... I think the thing about Strasburg coming back, I hope he can make it back. I love Steven Strasburg. He's one of my favorite pitchers of the last 10 years. You know, he was a, an absolute god during the Nationals World Series run. And I really love that for him, especially because he had had so many years of being questioned on his mental toughness, on his physical toughness, on everything under the sun. And then that, that postseason, he puts it all together and basically tells everyone, shut the hell up. I'm better than all of you. Mm-hmm. Of course, it seems to have cost him his career in the process, but... I think Regardless, he'll take the ring, though. I think a lot of these guys will take the no, ring. No, he'll keep the ring forever. Keith Fulk yeah. burned his career to ash in the 2004 postseason, but it got him a ring. I think he'd probably make that trade 10 times out of 10. I think what we'll have to adjust to with Strasburg is he's going to be a different pitcher coming out of this than he was before. He's not going to be the dude who lights up the radar gun at 95, 96, which actually doesn't really feel like lighting up the radar gun anymore. But he's not going to be that big, hard thrower. He's going to have to be Not more... when Ben Joyce is in the building. <laughs> ben Joyce! The flamethrower getting ready for Hoover this week, John. Number one seed tomorrow afternoon, 530 East Coast time. I know you're ready. What is a Hoover? Hoover, Alabama. Okay, who's there? Uh, It's the SEC tournament. Oh, okay, fine. I I thought that was like a team or something. Well, there is the Hoover Buccaneers, the high school football legends Hoover, and they got a TV show in the mid-2000s on MTV called Two-A-Days. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, It just means more down here, man. Well, I mean, the Nationals will be in very good position uh, this... Well, I guess it, Joyce... Is what is Joyce a freshman? Joyce is a freshman. Okay, so he's not draft eligible. Can he's he never getting eligible? drafted. He's staying in college forever, John. It's uh, it's something... And he, uh, he's not a freshman. Never mind. He's Drew Bream's a freshman. Um, what is he? Uh, well, is, 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 he draft, is he draft eligible this summer? He's redshirt junior. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know NCAA draft eligibility rules off the top of my head. So, regardless... Um, I was yeah, going to say, he missed he is, all last year. There's an option for the Nationals. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I think the Strasburg we're going to see is Why are you be... trying to take Joyce away from me? What do you mean he's an option for the Nationals? If he is an option if, for if the Tennessee draft, Volunteers. If he's draft eligible, and they're hair. You can have a Blade Tidwell. You can have a Blade Tidwell. <laughs> and that's the other thing about the Nationals is Strasburg is going to come back to a terrible team. This yeah. national team is just flat out not good. And there's well, really him coming no... back is like a summer. Uh, what is the word? Uh, summer, like. Not uh, to just see if he can get traded to a contender. What is it? The yeah, show off? Or what is it called? Showcase. showcase. That's the word showcase. I'm looking for. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing there will be, because like you said, the, or like I was saying, this Nationals team is bad. Very, very bad. You know, they're, they're, there's no reason to expect them to be any better going forward. This is a talent deficient roster beyond uh, Juan Soto. They killed Nelson Cruz. They... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> He was fine. I mean, he was fine, John. He was going to keep hitting until he was 63, and then he gets in D.C. this this offseason, and then it's and over. Melts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some things you – like, you look at the Nationals roster there. I mean, beyond Soto, like, uh, I'll be curious to see what they do with Josh Bell, if only because mm-hmm. I don't really think – I mean, he's having a great season. I'd be curious to see if any teams were willing to give anything up for a free agent to be first baseman who is 29 and has no defensive value beyond first base. Mm-hmm. that's always a little bit of a tough sell. I mean, the future is there in Kybert Ruiz and Josiah Gray and whatever happens with Soto going forward and depending what they do with Bell. But there is a there are a lot of holes on this roster, and Strasburg isn't going to do be able to do a damn thing about them. But I think it gets moved because I still feel like if well, the, the learners are inching towards selling this team, 
Soto's out, Strasburg's out, Corbin's out. You want to bare bones this thing before you sell, and that's yeah, why I, I can I can see that, especially because the Nationals farm system is not a particularly strong. No, they need to start um, from scratch, basically. Yeah, they're kind of in an Orioles. It they're kind of in an Orioles with Machado type position where mm. you know all of the all of the playing for today has really hurt them for tomorrow. The problem with moving Strasburg is he even beyond this season, he still has one hundred and forty million dollars <laughs> left to go over the next four years. That's incredible. They That's a lot of him. money for a dude who is thirty three years old and is going to be throwing ninety two miles an hour if he can come back from the most from one of the most like difficult arm injuries any pitcher can suffer. Yeah. I think the Nationals are going to have a really, really hard time moving him if they want to move him, especially because, again, the Steven Strasburg who comes back this summer is not the Steven Strasburg who pitched before twenty the, the pre-2019 Steven Strasburg. Mm-hmm. He's going to be throwing like 92. There are going to be days where he's going to get lit up because he just doesn't have the same stuff anymore. You know, or if, if, you're, if you're a contending team and you need an arm, do you really feel comfortable forking over whatever it's going to cost to to get Strasburg, knowing that you're still on the hook for another four years and $140 million. That's basically Chris Sale's entire contract. Yeah. That one has not worked out well for the Red Sox. You know, I really don't think there are too many teams going to be eager to take it on for Strasburg, which is going to be the problem for the Nationals. I think the only way they'd be able to move him is to eat a lot of that money, which then defeats the whole purpose of moving him. What does Corbin have left on his? Uh, He still has, oh my God, he still has another $59 million left over the next two years. Speaking of free agent contracts that really beyond... Well, I mean, they got a World Series thanks to him mm-hmm. in part. This is the painful hangover afterward. Well, I think this is a painful, but it's also a little bit worse because they kept trying to talk themselves into this being able to... Dra- They're kind of like where the Phillies were with Ruben Amaro after their ring, where they kept it going and kept it going, and it progressively kept getting worse. The farm system wasn't getting rebuilt, and then suddenly it was over. And... I, mean, I, I think it's slightly different because I don't get the sense that this Nationals front office is just trying is fighting against the dying of the light. Yeah. I think they have fully accepted that this team is bad. I mean, they did nothing in the offseason beyond sign Cruz, who for whatever reason really wanted to be in D.C., I guess, and is now presumably extremely regretting that. Yeah. But at the same time, he gets to be a, a 41-year-old DH for a last-place team. The, the Send him to Atlanta. I can't do any more Adam Duvall, Adam Duvall starts. Try, oh, God. I can't. But I, uh... I, think, I think the Nationals accepted that, you know, once, once things fell apart in 2020, um, once it became clear there was going to be no title defense, um, I think they, they accepted pretty quickly, this is done, this is over. I think the problem they run into is, again... There's a lot of money still owed to Strasburg, and he is not Steven Strasburg anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be very curious to see what they want to do with that going forward. I mean, again, I'm rooting for him. I hope he comes back and is great. It's just the reality of guys coming back from thoracic outlet syndrome surgery is very, very poor. I mean, you want to, you want proof? Go look at Chris Archer's stats this season. They are ugly as hell. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens. We support our... Uh, our king, our old goatee king, who looked really weird without the goatee. So bring it yeah, back. Yeah, he he's got to he's got to have that big clam yes. bush. Yes, exactly. Thing. Clam bush is what clam we call it. I don't ever want to say that combination of words again. I regret having uttered them in the first place. <laughs> clam bush. Yeah, it's just real. Why did I say that? Why did my brain put those two words together? That's upsetting. I don't know, John, but clam, clam bush. bush it is. Um. The Yankees lose Chad Green to Tommy John, who was pitching really well for them out of the bullpen. Raldis Chapman, who has not been pitching well of late, he goes in the IL. 
Are you at all concerned uh, the bullpen's getting a little bit beat up here? Yeah, I definitely am, uh, especially because Green, I know uh, Michael King had kind of stolen a bit of his thunder as the multiple outs kind of fireman relief role that, that Green had been so very good at for the Yankees mm-hmm. the last few years. But yeah, he, he was a really big part of making that strategy work of just being able to eat, you know, uh, four to six outs in really any given day. Probably part of the reason why his elbow has no blown. And the real tragedy for him is it happens as he's set to be a free agent for the first time this offseason. It's really, mm. really rough for him. I didn't even you know, know that. He's, he's going to have to take some really heavily incentivized, probably two-year, a la former Yankees reliever Tommy Canely. We know where he spends the first year rehabbing and then the second year actually plays. It's it's, it's a real, real bummer for him, and I'm really sad for him. He was, he's also a very nice guy from the times I've interacted with him. Hmm. But... Yeah, the, I think the problem with the Yankees right now, Clay Holmes is great, obviously, but you know, with Chapman out, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what, in particular, uh, Aaron Boone wants to do when it comes to replacing Chapman. Does he just want to make Clay Holmes the the full time closer? Does he want to do a closer by committee thing and just okay, it's Clay Holmes sometimes. It's um, you know maybe it's Michael King if he's if he's if he's been put into the seventh and we just let him finish the game up. You know, is it Jonathan Loisaga sometimes? The other part of that is, in, in regards to Loisaga, he's been terrible this season. You know, mm-hmm. He was a really, really big part of that bullpen being great last year. He has been really bad this year. You know, So that's going to put a lot more pressure on the kind of softer middle part of that bullpen. Miguel Castro, Wandy Peralta, Lucas Lutke, uh, guys like Ron Marinaccio, Clark Schmidt. It's also going to test, because uh, you know, I, I know I'd mentioned earlier in the season, it's kind, it was kind of amazing how the Yankees just seemed to keep pulling these guys out of nowhere. These The Michael Kings, the Ron Marinaccios, the, the Clark Schmidts they're kind of out of those guys at this point. Um, mm. They don't really have a lot of them left. You know, looking through their system, what are the, it's, you know, because again, Green is down for the rest of the year. And I don't know necessarily how long Chapman will be sidelined. I, I you know, don't know the prognosis for ankle or ankle ever Achilles tendonitis, but there's just not a whole lot of depth left, left for them to use at this point. Mm. They'll get maybe Domingo Herman back at some point. He had, um, he had a shoulder impingement that he's working his way back from. You know, is he someone, if the rotation stays the way it is, that they could toss into relief? Possibly. You know, mm-hmm. is Luis Gill, if he comes back healthy, a guy they could use there? Davey Garcia, maybe? J.P. Sears, who's supposed to start tomorrow for them? There's just not a whole lot beyond that, though, at this point. Right. So I do wonder, especially because, again, like I, I know I just said it, but Green is done for the year. Um, mm-hmm. That's not a guy they're going to get back. Zach Britton, who had Tommy John surgery last September, is almost certainly not going to be back before the end of the season. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if we're at the point now with the Yankees where they need to start looking at external reinforcements, but I would guess that that is probably something that Brian Cashman is already doing because I, like I said, there, there's just not a whole lot of depth left for them to take advantage of anymore. Um, you know, they, they, the injuries really are starting to hit very hard for this team, which is. Eh, some of them are things like, you know, Josh Donaldson had, why are you getting COVID? But. You know, part of it also is, oh, I guess everyone in the Yankees is vaccinated at this point, but, you know, it, it, it is just a matter of like, you know, they've, they're already pretty stretched in terms of the top arms they have. And really, they only have two guys right now in King and Holmes who are really particularly pitching well. You know, the rest mm-hmm. of the bullpen is kind of so-so. And I'm sure they'll make it ha- they'll make it work. They're the Yankees. They somehow always make a bullpen work. But, yeah. That's it's just a... going to be someone else that we don't expect. I feel like yeah. it's going to be someone random. I mean, Chad Green was that someone random. Yes. I don't really think anyone expected Chad Green to be able to have done what he did. Michael King, similar thing. Like I said, he has become the new Chad Green. But I, I do think we're at the point now, since since Green is done for the year, where the Yankees, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a move between now and 
I, part of it is just going to depend on what the prognosis is for Chapman and whether or not mm. they think this is oh it's just two weeks to let the to let this heal and then he'll be and then he'll be fine. But even before this injury, Chapman was not pitching well, mm-hmm. and particularly because you know even beyond his usual issues with control and command, his fastball velocity has really really fallen off. This is not the Aroldis Chapman of years previous who was throwing 103 with ease. This yeah, is, this is not Cuban Ben Joyce. This is this is a dude who is not. I mean, just looking at his average fastball velocity uh, from this season, currently is at, well, not currently because he's not playing, but uh, 97 miles an hour. That is his lowest mark ever. You know, and this is this is his, uh, this is after, you know, he hasn't hit 100 on average in five seasons. You know, but th- there is a, re- there has to be a real concern with the Yankees. His strikeout rate has also fallen off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be a real concern with the Yankees that Chapman might now have just taken a permanent step down. And if that's the case, you know, well, then you definitely are going to need some reinforcements because I think before it was like, okay, well, if Chapman's not great, fine. We still have Clay Holmes and Loisaga and Green and King and blah 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 blah. Well, now you don't have now you don't have one of those guys. Loisaga has been very bad. Um, you still have Holmes, great. You still have King, great. But you probably do need more help at a certain point. And I think even more so than losing Green, it's Chapman who's going to be the one who makes the Yankees do something because if he. If this is either a long-term injured list stint or if this is something where they just feel like he's permanently compromised to a certain degree, then they need to go out and get some help. And I'll be interested to see who that is, but I, I do think we're at the point probably where the Yankees are, are going to have to start looking for outside help in the bullpen. Well, we'll see what happens on that front, but I do think they do something. And also, on the flip side, though, positive is Luis Severino is just uh, dealing. He's him back. Yeah. He is, he's back. Well, I think that's... Um, I think the flip side for that for the Yankees, just to, to wrap that up, is you know the rotation has been performing so well and has been mm-hmm. able to stay healthy that you can look at guys like Luis Gill or Luis Gill or excuse me or Davy Garcia or JP Sears, any of those young young minor league starters, and say, hey, you know we don't really have space in the rotation for them, but maybe we can pull out pull like we can do what we do with King and just have them throw two inning stints every few days. Yeah, you know, and, and that's how we get through this. I, and I think that probably, if the Yankees don't make a, a big external addition, I think that would probably be the the secondary option for them. Is okay, let's take these minor league guys we have and let's just toss them to the bullpen. Like I think you saw it like similarly with the Yank with the Red Sox did with with Garrett Whitlock and Tanner Houck, which was hey, we got these guys who are probably good starters, but let's use them in the bullpen for now because we've got a full rotation. We don't need them at the moment, you know. But they 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 can do really good things for us in relief. For sure. Uh, John, quickly, um, this pass in piece on ESPN. You alluded to this for Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto is just, he's been cool since he was photographed, uh, riding around. What was that? A horse? Yes, his horse Popeye who died. Yes. Did he die? Popeye died. He had a very, both funny and unsettling Instagram post where the horse was just lying dead on the ground. Oh no. Johnny Cueto seems like a weird dude. He also has an ambulance that he filled with speakers. And it's just like this big party bus thing. I think that was in the passing piece. Oh my goodness. This um, man, he's, he's, a, he's just, he's yeah, that's in the piece, by the way. But he's just, a, he's the most chill, cool dude in baseball, right? Like Johnny Cueto is just. I, I mean, I will always have a soft spot for dudes like Cueto who can get outs throwing 89 miles an yeah. hour thanks to, it, it's, it's the same like you go back to the Yankees, all on Nestor Cortez. Like, yeah, the, the stuff is just good on its own. Mm-hmm. But so much of it is just the fun of just, like, the, the wind-up, the deception, the motion. Mm-hmm. Like, Cueto has so many different looks he throws at hitters, a la Luis Tiant back in the day. Mm-hmm. And Cortez does the same thing. Like, 
it, it's impossible not to root for a dude like that. It's impossible not to love a dude who's just going out there hucking 89, and he's getting you out anyway, despite the fact that, like, his fastball is just not a viable pitch anymore. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I, I, I love seeing Cueto come back. I, you know, I love, particularly, too, because he's one of those dudes who is long, if he's in the game, he will just keep pitching. You know, he's made two starts this season, and they've both been six innings. You know, that's, that's a dude who's just no problem. No problem whatsoever just going out there and eating innings. He loves doing it. He loves to eat innings. You know, and I should say, he's not even throwing it. He's throwing 92.4. That's the fastest he's thrown his fastball since 2016. Johnny Cueto, back. It's real. It's happening. He picked the wrong White Sox here, it seems like, though. I don't he's know. I mean, they could, off they the could definitely Sox. use him. That, that White Sox team is in a bit of a shambles. They are. Um, they are in a bit of shambles there. Uh, we'll end on this, John. Um, why is just, Mr. O'Neill struggling in St. Louis? I was saying one was, more thing with one more yes. thing with Cueto is it, interesting. Looking at his pitch selection, he's using his slider a lot, lot more. Hmm. And I'd be curious to see. I'd be curious to look more into that. Um, one, he's throwing it harder than he ever has, mm. um, or not ever, but in years. Two, its usage rate is the highest it's been since. 2010 back when he was on the Reds so I'd be mm. you know I'd be very interested to dig a little more into that with Cueto and see exactly what's going on there but um yeah love love having him back uh but yeah Tyler O'Neill. um I mean O'Neill was always I mean the thing the thing with a guy like O'Neill is I'm not necessarily surprised that he struggled he's always been a big swing and miss guy and th- those guys are just gonna have cold periods sometimes because when they're not connecting well more so this way, he's a big swing and miss guy, and he's a big power guy, you know? Mm-hmm. he's He's been a big, not a huge launch angle guy, but, I mean, he's, his average over the years has been a 17.8-degree launch angle. That's pretty high. Like, he's always been a big lo- a big loft and a big fly ball guy and a big swing and miss guy and a big power guy. I, I would like, or I'd like to say that is probably the profile of the hitter most hurt by... I mean, I don't know if the ball is still dead, whatever ball they're using, ball, the, yeah. the ball inconsistency. But he's also a guy who, even with even without the ball being, um, you know, made of wet newspaper, again, that profile is just going to create a lot of slumps sometimes. Because if mm. you're a dude who's just always aiming for the seats, not always, but if you aim for the seats on the regular and you just have a lot of swing and miss in your profile, and especially, too, as a, you know, as a... Sorry, I was going to say as a left-hander, but he's not. He's a right-hander, mm-hmm. but I'm sure he's seeing, I'm sure he's seeing shifts anyway. I mean, I'd love to see what the defensive positioning is on, on O'Neill as well. But, I mean, I, I think the big thing is, like, you know, you look at his stats last year. He had a 366 batting average on balls in play. Yeah. This year, 269. You know, is he a 366 batting average on balls in play guy? No. Is he a 269 guy? Probably not also. He's, he's, he has run high BABIPs in the past. But you don't need to look very far to see what happens when he doesn't run a high BABIP, and that's 2020 when he put up more or less the same numbers, albeit with a little more power, but at a 189 batting average on balls in play, and that added up to a 71 weighted runs created plus. He need like, again, big fly ball, a lot of swing and miss. He is, to a certain degree, at the mercy of batted ball luck, and it has just not fallen his way this year. Because otherwise, you know, looking at his profile, I, I don't really see anything that stands out to me in terms of, oh, something is really, really wrong here. You know, his his plate patient stats are almost identical to last year. He's swinging in the strike zone a little more, but I, I, I don't see how that would necessarily point to anything. Um, you know, he's The power's rough, gone. The power is just not there right now. Part of that, I assume, is, again, the dead ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of that, I assume, is just a slump in general. 
But the other thing is, like, you look at his you look at his Statcast numbers, and he's still hitting the ball hard. I mean, mm-hmm. the I mean, granted, the average exit velocity has dipped. Uh, the max exit velocity has dipped. The barrel rate has really dipped. You know, I, I think right now it's, it is probably a combination of the dead ball and the dead ball, some poor batted ball luck. Although a two sixty nine batting average on balls of play is not abnormally low. It's maybe twenty thirty, maybe twenty points shy of league average, and uh, and also just, I, there might just I, I, I might just be it, it, it's a long slump. But I think too there is probably there might just be something mechanical going on here that we can't see or that we don't know because again you look at the plate discipline stats, you look at um, the batted ball stats in terms of you know what he's producing. They're they're not terribly you know off from where they were. Uh, one interesting thing that does stand out to me is he was pulling the ball in the same rate he did back in 2020 when he was bad, but it's also the same rate he was pulling the ball in 2018 and 19 when he was good. So, again, I, I, I would chalk this up to a combination of bad luck and probably some mechanical adjustment that needs to be made. But it, it's tough because the Cardinals, I mean, the Cardinals right now, they, they, you know, they have bigger problems than Tyler O'Neill, but they really, really need him to be functional if they want to keep pace with the Brewers. You know, it cannot just be Arenado and Goldschmidt and the red-hot Tommy Edmond. There have to be more guys involved here. I mean, Juan Yepes has been a really big boost. Brendan Donovan has been a nice boost since they, since they booted Paul DeYoung um, from shortstop. Uh, especially, too, because the, the rotation itself is just not particularly performing all that great. You know, uh, Stephen Matz is hurt now. Wainwright has been has looked way more like a 40-year-old uh, mm-hmm. than I think probably most people expect. I mean, the best starter on that staff right now is Miles Mikolas. That's not great. That is not what the Cardinals wanted. So any... it was cool in 2019, 20, when was it? When did he bring, uh, came back over from overseas? What year was that now? That was uh, 2019, I believe, when he came back yeah. from Korea. But either way, like, mm-hmm. especially too, when you consider Dylan Carlson is hurt and has not produced when he's been healthy. Um, you know, they, like I said, they already had to boot DeYoung. Like, Nolan Gorman has been a really big boost since they called him up. But that outfield, besides, aside from Bader, is a problem right now. And they don't really have any other options unless they feel like giving Lars Newtbar way more time, which he's going to get anyway with Carlson hurt. Um, yeah, so it'll be... They, they need him to get better. But the, the good thing is, unless there's an injury that we don't know about here, this does seem like it's something where he probably can work his way out of it. It's just going to be a matter of what is that going to look like and how long is that going to take. We'll see. We'll see, John. Uh, what can the good folks check out? over on fangraphs.com this week sir so today like you mentioned we had ben's very fascinating piece on stanton we also had a good piece from jay jaffe looking at the recent run of position players pitching which speaking of the cardinals albert pujols and yadier molina took the mound that was weird Mm -hmm. um tomorrow we're gonna have something from justin Choi, who wrote a piece last week about batted ball spin and how it's kind of a hidden factor when it comes to batted ball distance which was really really interesting um he is going to do a follow-up on it tomorrow that i think people should check out um, we're going to have something from Jay on the Brewers losing uh, Willie Peralta, which is, or sorry, Freddie Peralta. There have been so many Peraltas. We're going to have something on the Brewers they losing really Freddie Peralta. And we're going to have the latest installment in our top prospects uh, rankings. We're going to look at the Royals system from Eric Longenhagen and Tess Taruskin, uh, what things look like there now that uh, Bobby Witt has graduated from prospect status. Obviously, a lot of good players still in that Whit system. Merrifield has demoted himself to replace him. <laughs> I know uh, MJ Melendez up already now too, but you know mm-hmm. uh, Vinny Pasquantino, Nick Prado. Um, there's uh, presumably some guys lower down in the system, but yeah. It's, so if you're a Royals fan, uh, be sure to check that out for tomorrow. Our top uh, TBD. I'm not sure what the actual number is because I'm not editing it, but uh, our Royals top prospect list as Eric continue, Eric and Tess continue to bang their way toward 
finishing that for the for the season. But yeah, the usual over at Fangraphs. Come on down, Fangraphs.com. Sign up for a membership if you are so inclined. Help support the work that we do. And uh, I should also mention, too, for anyone who's listening, that we are currently looking for both a full-time staff writer and paid part-time contributors. Uh, These are both fully remote roles. Everyone and anyone is encouraged to apply. If you have any writing experience at all, if you've ever wanted to to write about baseball, you know, drop us a line. Uh, Check out the site for more information on how to apply, when, what to send. The deadline is June th- I want to say June 3rd for part-time contributors and June 10 for full for the full-time staff writer position, but I might have had those flipped. Either way, check out the site. Um, like I said, we're looking for anyone and any, anyone and everyone who's interested in writing about baseball. Again, fully remote. We do not have an office. You can work from where, wherever. And again, make it clear the part-time positions are paid. You know, you will be paid for your work if you write for us. So check that out. If you're interested in joining Fangraphs, we'd love to have you if you're a bright and clever baseball mind. There you go. And even if you're not, you'll become one. Just you will. At just if, start reading this anyway. And you'll, you, the Fangraphs guarantee is that you will get smarter. Yes. Your IQ will rise by 50 points within one week of becoming a Fangraphs member. There you go. I you'll, like you'll, it. You'll also become a better lover. You'll uh, you'll understand what the meaning of what was it craw craw hair? What did you say? I already forgot what it was. That word that you combined. Um, Gracetunity? No. What was the word that you were like? I didn't like that. I put those two oh, words. Oh, crab together. crab. Um, why are you making me think of this again? I want it stuck in your head, John. No, now it's gone, and I, I prefer it that way. It's gone. We're old. We're in our thirties. It's already gone. It's like crab head. What do we call it? crab hair? I don't remember. What I don't. It was I, I, crab hair is weird enough on its own because <laughs> is that is that a crab with hair or is that hair made out of crab? Ooh, I both are really bad. Although I kind of yeah. like the idea of like a crab with like a bouffant. <laughs> That's kind of fun. John Taylor, always a pleasure. I will talk to you next week. All right, that'll do it for part one here on the Chase Most Podcast. Thank you again to Fangraph John Taylor for coming on today's edition of the podcast. Make sure you give him a follow at J.A. Taylor and go support the good folks over there at Fangraphs.com and become a member today if you have not already done so. That would be great. Fangraphs.com, go do that today. Um, Part two, part three coming up right after this. But if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you leave us a five-star rating and a review. If you are listening by Apple Podcasts or Spotify and have not yet done so, follow us on YouTube at youtube.com. Type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. You'll find us there. Uh, go and subscribe to the Sports Renaissance Man, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Tweet at me at Chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. And of course, email this very program at Part two coming up after this. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.